Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Marty Walsh giving details on his departure from the Department of Labor. Tesla workers want a union and Tesla workers get fired one day later after the announcement. Today on the show, we check in with the Ohio Federation of Teachers and the operating engineers in North and South Carolina. Welcome to the Tuesday, February 21st edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Melissa Cropper is going to be our first guest on the show today, longtime supporter of the show. She comes to us as president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org. Melissa also serves as secretary-treasurer of the AFL-CIO. One of the uh, things we're going to get into involves non-compete Clauses. The Federal Trade Commission earlier this year unveiled a rule that would ban provisions of labor contracts known as non-compete agreements, which essentially prevent workers from leaving for a competitor or starting a competing business. Well, Melissa submitted testimony to the FTC about similar clauses in charter school teacher contracts. Now, You should know that the OFT represents nine Ohio charter schools, and currently they're organizing teachers at one school in Columbus. Now, listen to this. In some cases, charter teachers could be fined up to $4,000 for resigning and working at another school. Some even have their teaching license contested. (laughs) Is that crazy? So this proposed rule would ban non-competes and melissa says it is long overdue we'll also talk about education funding and private school vouchers which is in the proposed ohio state budget the governor governor mike dewine released his proposed state budget several weeks ago for school funding dewine pledged to continue implementation of what's called the cup patterson fair school funding plan now this says melissa is a step in the right direction but you know what they always say the devil's in the details so we'll get into that also senate bill one this has recently introduced legislation that would take duties and responsibilities away from nonpartisan elected state board of education members and handed over to a partisan cabinet member appointed by the governor a lot of this has to do with the fact that several democrats won seats on that board last november and uh, yes some in power don't like that so they came up with a different formula if you don't like what's going on change the rules right so melissa will be our first guest later in the show we're going to go to uh, Stephen rumberg Stephen is the business manager and president of the Operating Engineers. This would be Local 465. They've been around since uh, 1945. And um, this was part of a merger, by the way. There were uh, Local 500, 457, 
261, 366 were all merged into local 435. And uh, the local is located in Durham, North Carolina, and they cover stationary and hoisting and portable operating engineers. The jurisdiction covers all of North Carolina and parts of South Carolina. Right now, 465 has about 1,000 members. They are affiliated with the North Carolina AFL-CIO. And get this, the first woman president of the North Carolina AFL-CIO, Mary B. McMillan, is a member of 465. We're going to talk about organizing and renewable energy. There's also a story he's going to share with us, one of their uh, former business managers. He passed away some years ago, C.P. Ellis. He retired in 1990, and apparently he's got a very unique story of his of his life, and he signed a book deal, and he was working on a movie deal, but he passed away before the movie could be made. The movie was finally released in 2019. It's called The Best of Enemies. It's a movie that starts out hard, according to uh, Steve, but has a great ending. So that's all I'm going to say right now. I can't wait to hear it. Steve Rumberg will be joining us. Business Manager, President, IUOE465.com is your website. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Serving uh, so many organizations, lots of Taft, Hartley Funds, corporations, you name it, since 1928. Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh tweeted that he will, in fact, be stepping down from his post in mid-March. She will become the executive director of the National Hockey League Players Association. Not what you call the best-kept secret. This leaked out weeks ago. We talked about it on the show, and the word spread earlier this month, leading Democrats to lobby for their preferred successors. Well, Deputy Secretary Julie Sue, who Marty called, quote, his partner in this endeavor, won the endorsements of the Congressional Asian Pacific American and Congressional Black Caucuses, while former Speaker Pelosi is said to be advocating for former Representative Sean Patrick Maloney. In the meantime, Deputy Secretary Sue is set to become the acting secretary of the agency as soon as that happens. Again, got a couple of weeks here before he actually steps down and makes a whole lot of money. The previous, uh, well, the guy that's retiring from the Players Association is reportedly making $3.5 million a year. And Marty Walsh's salary right now as Labor Secretary is just shy of $240,000 a year. Big difference there. A week ago today, Tesla employees in Buffalo publicly announced a unionizing effort. Day later, Tesla terminated dozens of Buffalo employees. Workers United, the union working with organizing employees, filed a complaint with the Labor Board alleging retaliatory terminations. The timing, employees were fired one day, one day. After the announcement, although the uh, NLRA prohibits firing employees 
to interfere in the organizing process. Retaliatory dismissal is quite common. I think those of you that have been doing some organizing know that all too well. And uh, the Labor Board's only remedies are reinstatement and back pay following a process which could take years. We all know that. Could take years. One day after... And here's a company, well, you know the owner, Elon Musk, one of the richest people on the planet, but very, very much anti-union. Greg Reagan, president of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO, frequent uh, guest here. In fact, he'll be on the show uh, coming Monday. He sent a letter to the Federal Railroad Administration urging greater federal oversight of freight rail operations in the country. For years, says Greg, Freight rail workers have sounded the alarm about dangerous cost-cutting practices in the industry that put workers and the public in harm's way. Since the adoption of PSR, that's Precision Scheduled Railroading, which happened in 2015, derailments and incidents at rail yards have significantly increased on several major railroads, while Those same companies brought in record profits. This is what Greg said. Rail workers are the eyes and the ears of the system, yet worker perspectives about current and prospective safety incidents are not fully leveraged. We appreciate that the Federal Railroad Administration sponsors a voluntary program to enable employees to confidentially report what's called close call safety incidents without fear of repercussion, yet... Not one of the seven major U.S. freight railroads voluntarily used the program. Regan and the TTD went on to endorse the confidential closed call reporting system and want the administration to make the program mandatory in order to create a safer freight rail system. And he points out the recent freight train derailment in Ohio, East Palestine, Ohio, perfect example of the dangerous conditions that workers in the freight industry have been reporting for years. Freight railroad companies want you to think that safety incidents are decreasing from one year to the next. Well, here's what the corporations won't tell you. The rate of incidents per train mile and the rate of incidents at rail yards has actually increased at three of the four top freight railroads in the past few years. Hazardous materials are carried on freight trains through communities across the country, and the reforms advocated by the rail workers and the TTD aren't just about worker safety, but public safety as well. Perfect example of what's happening in East Palestine, Ohio, where a lot of the people in that area are afraid to go back home. The streams are contaminated. The air is contaminated, although a lot of people are saying everything is safe. But you know how that goes. You know, I want to take a moment here. We've been uh, talking about this uh, rail situation for weeks now. I mean, this happened on a Friday night on February 3rd. And uh, it's going to go on for a long time, no doubt about that. But we have to do a salute to the people that cleaned up that mess while everyone was running away firefighters and first responders from the area and all over northeastern ohio ran towards the danger they ran towards the scene put their lives and health at risk after arriving at the scene 
Fire Chief Steve Zakelli. He's with the Mahoning County Hazmat Office. He said, the only way I can describe it is like the doors of hell were open. I mean, it was hot. The flames were shooting up in the air at least 100 feet. Those men and women showed incredible bravery in the face of danger. And at the time, an unknown danger. They ran towards the scene without knowing what type of chemicals had spilled. It's inspiring, and we want to show our thanks. We want to flood our social media feeds and thank yous from Ohioans from every corner of our state. This is all put together from an organization called We Are Ohio. So here's what you can do. Send an email to info at weareohio.com. Let me repeat that. Info at weareohio.com and share your thanks for the heroes of East Palestine. You can also uh, go on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Here's the hashtag East Palestine Heroes. That's the hashtag. Again, Ohio's first responders and firefighters go to work every day and face dangers that we cannot even comprehend and we cannot thank them enough. Again, that email, info at weareohio.com or the hashtag on Facebook, Twitter, East Palestine Heroes. All right, quick break. When we come back, Melissa Cropper of the Ohio Federation of Teachers. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers. Standing strong. And fighting for what's right. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get that word union there. And if you like a show... Please share that show. We count all the downloads, our sponsors like that, and we want to grow the show in 2023. That's what it's all about. Speaking of sponsors, let's go to Columbus, Ohio right now and welcome one of our longtime regulars, Melissa Cropper, 
president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org. Melissa, how are we doing today? Great, great. It's great to be back on the show. I know you want to talk about non-compete clauses, and uh, I know all about them because, you know, coming from the broadcasting industry, they're quite uh, common. I don't know how common they are today because they've really thinned the ranks of broadcasters, but if you worked at a certain radio or TV station and you decided to uh, to leave, well, they, they owned you for a little while, sometimes six months, maybe a year, maybe even longer. But apparently, uh, there is a proposed rule change here by the Federal Trade Commission on non-compete clauses. Why don't you explain? I guess, do they want to ban them altogether? Is that is that where they're going with this? Yes, the intent is to do away with non-compete clauses. And again, non-compete clause um, means that the company can put some restrictions on you if you decide to leave that position. They can put some restrictions on where you can go, who you can do business with, what you can take with you, etc. And who would have guessed that that non-compete clauses um, actually apply to our charter schools in Ohio? Uh, that actually kind of came as a surprise to us as we were organizing, started organizing charters, and, and people started telling us that they were being fined or having some kind of sanctions put on them whenever they left their job. And we started digging into it and found out that, yes, some of these charter school contracts that, that they have with teachers have these non-compete clauses in them that allow them to fine up to four, fine a teacher up to $4,000 if they decide to leave their position. And I know $4,000 may not sound like a lot to some people, but we're talking about people who are teaching in charter schools who are making salaries of maybe $32,000 a year. So that's a significant amount of money that they're being charged simply because they choose to leave one school and teach at another school. Well, I don't know how you can slice it. $4,000, that's a lot of money. Now, has anyone been fined right now, or are they just being threatened at this stage of being fined? Well, we actually have uh, one language arts teacher that we work with. She submitted a letter of resignation in May, which is a, a reasonable time frame. That's typical within the education world. Teachers generally have up until July 12th to, to leave a school district and to get out of their contract. She decided to she submitted a letter of resignation in May, letting the charter school know that she would not be coming back the following year. They've kept her last two paychecks uh, came up to about $2,500, which put actually put her, you know, her and her family under some financial pressure. And they did this simply because she decided to leave the school and go to another school, even though they gave, she gave them plenty of warning. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were able to keep this money because it's in their contract that they have a non-compete clause and it's, it's considered competing for her to go to another school. Actually, they call it... Um, Oh, darn, I'm losing the term. But they, they, they claim it to be some kind of damages and that that's this amount of money that it would cost for them to replace her, to find someone to replace her in the school. Um, and that's part of a non-compete clause. Wow. And chances are this individual, many of them, didn't read the fine print. And if you contest that, I don't know if you have any any stories of people saying, well, wait a minute, I'm not going to uh, sign this contract because of the non-compete. Do you know if that can be done? And they probably 
they may get in trouble. I, I know they need teachers anyway, but they would probably strike that out if, if given the opportunity. Any thoughts on that? Oh, no. We have actually tried to bargain it out of uh, once we get once we organize locals, uh, organize members in a charter school and start working on the first contract. We've worked hard on trying to negotiate that language out. And the charter schools are very, very adamant about they want that clause in there. And, uh, and you know, it even goes so far as they can hold a teacher's license if, if the fine isn't paid. They can put a hold on their teaching license and sue them and take a, and, and contact a credit agency and do all these other you know, pieces and take all these other actions against them if they don't pay the fine that they're being charged. Jeez. So really, it's outrageous. This is you know non-compete clauses, as you mentioned, are typically used in in. Um, businesses that are in competition against one another and they're used to keep people from taking secrets from you know taking business trade secrets from one business to a, another but we're talking about the teaching industry and we're talking about you know there's not supposed to be competition now again the, the, the legislature has created competition by creating charter schools and allowing vouchers and etc but we're t- we're saying that a teacher can't even take the material that they have created themselves and take it to another school with them without being fined or have some kind of hold put on their teaching license. So we're really hopeful that the Federal Trade Commission is going to strike this language and, and not allow employers to do this anymore. It's terribly wrong within charter schools. We also believe it's wrong in a lot of area, other areas of business, too. But charter schools is the business that we're working in right now. Yeah. I'm sure you were surprised by that. By the way, how's that uh, organizing drive going on at that school? The is it called the you know, KIPP school? Is that right? KIPP Charter School, yes. And it's actually, you know, they, we have seen some of the most aggressive union busting that we've seen in our charter school organizing. But we continue to do structure tests while we wait for the ruling from the NLRB, and we're still standing. You know, last last test we did, we're still standing at seventy percent support which is really amazing considering how hard they have worked to try to get people to not want to unionize. So we have strong, strong support there, and we're just waiting for the, for uh, a ruling to come down around jurisdiction so that we can proceed with an election. All right, let's move on to education funding and, of course, private school vouchers, which uh, apparently they've uh, stepped up a few notches in the uh, Ohio budget what where where do we stand with this right now and also I, I guess there's a there is a funding plan a fair school funding plan which you supported is is that making any progress Yes. So the Fair School Funding Plan is a plan that some people may have known as the Cup Patterson Plan that was introduced in the last General Assembly and got its funding for the first two years. Now, the budget process is just now starting in in Columbus, but when the governor gave his state of the state address within his uh, within his address, he said that he was a strong supporter of continuing the Fair School Funding Plan and continuing the phase in of that plan. Now, we're saying that given that the the state is actually flush with money right now, we're asking that instead of the next two years of the phase-in, because it it was originally set out as a six-year phase-in, we're asking that they go ahead and fully fund it, because the state has the money to fully fund it right now. So why continue to make schools wait 
to get that full funding when the money's there now. So that's that's our push right now in the legislature as as the Senate as the budget starts through the the Senate where it goes first, it starts going through this process. We're asking that they consider full funding, full implementation of the plan to allow schools to, you know, go ahead and use all the money that they need to educate our children. Now that was great. We're glad that the governor did that. At the same time, he also called for an expansion of vouchers and for more money to go to charter schools. So again, we have some we have grave concerns with that. We have concerns about again taxpayer dollars going to private schools, and does that prohibit the state from being able to fully fund? Uh, a school funding formula. There's only so much money to go around, and we need that money to be going to our public schools where 90% of our students are educated and not being siphoned off to go to private schools. Let me understand this here, Melissa. It it sounds to me like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth here. (laughs) They want... (laughs) Does that surprise you? (laughs) (laughs) Surprise, surprise, right? They, right. <laughs> he wants fair school funding. You support fair. We all support fairness. Let's be honest. But at the same time, he wants to expand vouchers, which would take money away from public education, which is not fair, which is not fair. <laughs> Correct. And it's even more egregious when, when you start looking at what's happening in the state and Senate or in the House and the Senate. Uh, for example, you know, in the House, we we have proposal to move forward a fair school funding plan, which, again, we're, we're thrilled about. And I think there's even people calling for full implementation of the fair school funding plan, which is exactly what we want. At the same time, there's also the backpack bill, which is the bill that says that instead of funding schools, we're going to put the money and give fund each individual child and allow them to take that money to whatever school they want to go to. So it's basically a universal voucher saying every student in the state would get a voucher and, and take that money where they want to go. Those ca- things can't both exist. It's just mm-hmm. impossible for both of those to exist at the same time. Yeah. Either you are funding our public schools fully or you are funding a private school system, um, but you can't have both happen at the same time. So, again, it is, it is kind of people talking out of both sides of their mouths, but – we need we there's only so much money and we need that money to go to our public schools. Yeah. And you point out that Ohio's flush with cash right now, so let's let's support our schools. Makes a lot of sense. We should point out too that the funding formula for Ohio has been ruled unconstitutional, I think maybe four times four by times. the Ohio Supreme Court. It goes back I think well over twenty years. Well over twenty years. We're still dealing with this situation. In the meantime, more vouchers. More people, right? And we should. And I think it's important to point out about vouchers also that, you know, originally when vouchers were established, they were established under the guise. Now, most of us never really believed this, but they were established under the guise that it was supposed to help poor children be able to leave a school system that they weren't satisfied with. But right. the truth of the matter is, with something like this, especially with something like this backpack bill. That means we're going to be giving money to people who are already in private schools, have already made the decision to go to private schools, have already been paying for private school. Now we're going to fund them and give them the money to continue to go to private school at the expense of our public schools, where, again, most of our poor children are actually attending. So, again, we've got to 
get beyond the rhetoric, uh, beyond what um, the legislators might be telling you their intent is, and look at what, how it's actually playing out, because the way it's playing out is that we're funding people who are very able to fund their own education if they choose not to go to the public school system. But now we're taking those public school tax dollars and, and, and funding this private education. Good point. Okay, one more issue here, Senate Bill 1, and uh, this is legislation which would basically uh, take duties and responsibilities away from elected school board members. We're talking a state school board here. You and I talked about this at the, uh, the maybe it was the last session of the one before that. Uh, so they couldn't get this through, I believe, or it was introduced in the last session, but they're really moving this forward. Can you give us some details on what they're actually trying to do, and do you think it's going to happen? Right, right. They tried to move this during lame duck session, and basically uh, it, it's taken all the powers away from the State Board of Education except things like uh, licensure, property transfers, what I would call compliance issues, but policy decisions. They're, they want to create a new office under the governor, Office of uh, Education and Workforce, Department of Education and Workforce, and allow the decisions about curriculum, policy, all those really in-depth topics to be put over in, in under the control of the governor and his appointee to be the director of all of that. Now, beyond just the impact that we think that has on education, I mean, uh, uh, our big concern is that this is just another way to shut down the voters' voters' voices. We just had an election where people decided to run, and unfortunately this time we had three people who ran who actually have an education background. They put their policy out there around education so that people could know where they stand, and people chose them based upon that policy to represent their their part of the state at the state school board. Uh And now this bill and the people who are supporting this bill are basically saying, we don't trust the people to make this decision. We want to put the, you know, we, we let the governor make these decisions because we don't, and, I, and I've, heard, I've heard this said over and over and over and over again in testimony. Well, the people don't really know who they were voting for. People don't know who their state board of education member is. This is our democratic process. We've had people run, they run on a platform, and we have people elect them. This is just another way to shut down that democratic process and consolidate control under one person and under one party, basically, in this state, because we're so gerrymandered anyway. Yeah. So with the makeup of our legislature and all this, it sounds like they're really, really going to make this happen. I mean, are other groups other than, you know, the Ohio Federation of Teachers involved in saying, hey, you know what, we got to stop this madness? I believe the Ohio School Boards Association is coming out in opposition to it. And there are, there are other groups out there also, our Honesty and Education group, um, uh, some women's groups who have come out to support it, or I'm sorry, to come out in opposition to it. Um, but there are also, um, but, it, but it appears that it's going to, to move. It appears that both the Senate and the House are in favor of this bill, and they're going to move it through. Now, I will say Senator Brenner did have interested party meeting, did hear some of our input, um, has made some slight changes that would allow some stakeholder engagement. But again, now it's just it's just um, 
not the democratic process that we have in this state. And it's just another way. When you look at when you look at everything that's happened within the state, when you look at how we've been gerrymandered, then you look at the HJR 6, which is now HJR 1, where they're trying to make it harder to get something on the ballot and to pass something on the ballot. And then you look at, okay, well, now we're going to take some control away from the state board. We don't want an elected state board. We want that put under the governor. The, all these ways are combined to take away voters' voice within the state and to consolidate power under one party. And that's something we should all be fearful of. We should all be protecting our right to vote and protecting our right to have a voice in how the state is run. So one thing in isolation may not seem so bad. Look at the totality of all of it and look at how people's voices are being shut down. We need to do something to stop that. Melissa Cropper, President of the Ohio Federation of Teachers. Again, you can find more at oh.aft.org. That's a good uh, wrap-up of what's going on in the state of Ohio. And we're not alone. Other states are following the same lead as well. You take care. Stay safe. Stay strong. We'll talk uh, in a month, okay? Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Steve Rumberg is the business manager and president of the Operating Engineers. This will be Local 465, based in Durham, North Carolina. He's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AF. FGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. So keep them coming. Let's go to a Durham, North Carolina right now. Joining us on our live line is Steve Rumberg. Steve is business manager and president of Operating Engineers Local 465. I-U-O-E 465.com is a website. A little history here on the Operating Engineers. They've been around for 127 years. Founded in 1896. Not this local. This local's charted 
1945. But altogether, across the country, there are about 400,000 operating engineers in 123 local unions throughout the United States and Canada. In fact, the operating engineers is the 10th largest union in the AFL-CIO, and 465 is affiliated with the North Carolina AFL-CIO, the first woman there that heads the uh, North Carolina AFL-CIO. In fact, we've had her on the show. Mary B. McMillan is a member of Local 465. Steve Rumberg, welcome to uh, America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us today, brother. How how are we doing in, uh, in North Carolina? How's the weather down there today? Man, it is wonderful. We, uh, it's a beautiful day, and you can get hotter. Even tomorrow is supposed to be a lot more warmer. So, a little odd for February, but I mean, we are enjoying the warmer weather. People are getting out to work and drying up from all the rain we've had so far. So, yeah, yeah, looking good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting to see the climate changes in America. <laughs> I mean, we're in northeastern Ohio, and we're seeing temperatures near 70. So <laughs> it's not supposed to happen, but it's happening. So uh, talk to me a little about yourself. How, how long have you been uh, with the operating engineers, Steve? I am going on 18 years. This will be my 18th year that I'm working on right now. Yeah, and what, what made you go in that direction? Uh. Actually, I found a job that uh, wasn't too far from my house. Just uh, uh, I run heavy equipment for a long time, and uh, it was one of the first union high heavy highway jobs in our area in like 30 years. And uh happened to get lucky enough to get on it. Um, got signed up as a permit. Um, excellent steward. Man, he, he really mentored me, uh, walked me through what, what it was to be an operating engineer, and here we are 18 years later as a as a business manager. And he is still one of my best friends. Um, and then he just really good mentor to me and a few other guys that are on there. Actually, my business agent came in with me. And he just sat us down at a picnic table and and just mentored us, told us this is what it is to be an operator. This is what the brotherhood is. And, you know, walked, walked us through there for three years we was with him. And it was you know, life-changing. Yeah, that's what we need. We need people like that to kind of guide you through that process because you don't know uh, much about the trade until you, you know, you talk to somebody with experience. And I'm sure you had a lot of questions at that time. They were answered. And here you are today. Good stuff. How long have you been business manager and president, Steve? Uh, I've been president for three years, been business manager now. Uh, This is my second year. Good for you. And and you're still around a thousand members, is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right at around a okay. thousand. And continually building. We're um um we are out organizing now. We look stronger than we ever have and and really, really uh trying to work and build our local up. Well, you are in a part of the country where you really got to work hard to organize because North and South Carolina, especially South Carolina, in fact, uh, next week. We're going to talk to a uh, vice president of the South Carolina AFL-CIO. That's the least unionized state in America. They're under 2%. I think it's 1.7% union density. But I see your jurisdiction covers all of North Carolina and South Carolina. But you have, why don't you explain this? It's a mixed local where you cover stationary, hoisting, and portable. Can you uh, elaborate on that? Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, we are a mixed local. Uh, we cover uh, the hoist and portable side of it. We cover all of North Carolina, 
And we have 14 uh, counties in South Carolina we cover as far as that. And then on the uh, stationary side, which uh, with stationary, we cover, we have medical, um, the maintenance workers at hospitals. We actually have a hotel in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, that we cover the maintenance workers and the uh, the, the the custodians there. Um, a few bunch of federal courthouses, uh, some stuff on military bases, as far as keeping the housing up for the the uh, the military. You know, when when new recruits or new troops come in and out, you know, the houses that they stay in, right. people to maintain those. Um, but yeah, we cover the whole both states as far as stationary, um, and it, it's a big area. It's, it's, let me tell you, you go from one side of North Carolina. You know, if, I, if I'm I've been on one side of the one state and have to go clear across the other side. You know, it, it, sometimes it's six eight hours just to get somewhere for the next day. So it's a big state. Uh, I've got one business agent. Her name's Virginia, and she takes care of a lot of the, the stuff down south and travels a lot down there. So we're we're busy local as far as that goes. We got a lot of stationary units. Yeah. A lot of territory. No, okay, let's let's talk about organizing there. As as you heard me, I mean that's that's a tough area. We're talking right to work states here. How are we doing yes, with that being the case? Uh, actually, it's just um, we're doing real good at it right now. Just because uh, what's really helping is just the lack of of help and people wanting to work, and so it's actually helped us because on the hoist and portable side. Because we have the manpower to help man some of these non-union jobs, so it's it's really working well for us in that aspect. And then on the stationary side, it's also it's also helping out um, kind of the same thing because we're able to get the rates up for a lot of these uh, people that are um, that are not union but are on government jobs. So we're allowed to go in and talk to them, and actually we can. You know, we've actually uh, got a couple units that way of showing, you know, we can get the rates up and, and actually organizing some of the government stuff like that, courthouses and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's working out very well, very well for us. So you're you're getting some of the non-union operating engineers over to 465. That's mm-hmm. good. And then and on top of that, there's the, the infrastructure law. Uh, have you heard anything about that as far as you know bridges roads things of that nature because there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the country what about that that area north and south carolina there is a lot of road work going on a lot of it's state funded right now uh we keep um a close eye on everything that's being bid in north carolina as far as work and road work and federal jobs or anything federal we're i've got uh Actually, my organizer, he stays on the computer a lot, just researching and seeing what we can dig up. And we found some jobs that, you know, we've been able to uh, turn as far as, you know, making sure they're union and done right. So, yeah, we're we're busy. Yeah. Well, on the federal side, I mean, there's a lot of work rules that are very pro-union. But on the state side, I'm just wondering if you could speak to that. I mean, you see... You see them going non-union on a lot of lot of the stuff over there, and then obviously you have to work a little harder to bring them over. <laughs> yes, yes, a lot of it is uh, a lot of state stuff is non-union. Uh, I would say ninety-nine percent of it is. We we do get um, we have a couple companies that are signatory with us that go in and do some um, some drilling and stuff for the for the bridges and stuff like that. You know, we get a little bit of that work, but for the most part all our bigger contractors are non-union mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so we, we've talked with them it's just 
you know, their their rates are, are a lot lower than ours, and so that's how they stay competitive with each other. Sure, sure. What about your apprenticeship program? So you mentioned several times so far that there, there's a lot of work happening. Well, let's we got to we got to build for the future here. What what does that look like right now? Yeah, our apprenticeship program is doing well. We're actually our apprenticeship program is joint apprenticeship program with uh, local 147 in Virginia, the operators. Um, that kind of backstory a long time ago when we didn't have enough funds to start a apprenticeship program, so we partnered with them. Mm-hmm. And man, right now we're running classes up there of, I think right now we got 75 in our apprenticeship program. You know, between both states, so I mean, or both jurisdictions, and it is doing wonderful. They do a block training up there, and the, our trainers are are just excellent. They run run that, and uh, we have, as far as in North Carolina, I'm thinking, I think out of those, we we probably got 15 or so apprentices in North Carolina. Good. All right, Steve Rumberg joining us on our live line. As business manager, president of Operating Engineers Local 465, IUOE465.com. Uh, we'll talk about renewable energy coming up next. Back in a few minutes, you're listening to America's Workforce. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll-free at 1-800-443-3752. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign-and-display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go back to Durham, North Carolina. Rejoin Steve Rumberg, business manager, president of the Operating Engineers. Local 465. They have about 1,000 members and growing. You mentioned uh, 75 brothers and sisters in the uh, apprenticeship program. Um, how are we doing reaching out to the local community, the schools, and telling young folks today, you know what, maybe college is not for you. 
maybe you should join us because you can make a whole lot of money in the trades, especially in the operating engineers. Are you doing some of that in 465 right now, Steve? Yes, yes, we do. We have uh, plans to do career days and everything with surrounding high schools. And what we do, we go out and kind of look and see where the majority of our work is going on in the states. And we'll, we'll really hit those high schools to get those those kids in and maybe we can get those you know in our apprenticeship program and then on some of these jobs that we have and um you know so we we're doing it you know, just trying to cover a big state we just kind of pick the the most areas that our work is going in right now yeah yeah but, are you connecting with those kids though yes yes um we we surely are and we also connect with a um a job cores we use a lot of those the kids that are coming out of there and we use a lot of those on our projects and man that's an awesome awesome resource for us also to do that and we go visit their sites and we really are connecting with a lot of kids because not everybody wants to go to college as we know as you mm-hmm. know i didn't go to school either you know i was always somebody who wanted to to be on a tractor or be on a piece of equipment and a lot more hands-on and a lot of these kids are coming out and and they love it you tell them you can make this much money and you know, and learn, you know, in four years, you're going to be making this much. And it's really eye-opening to them. Good. Good to hear. Renewables. I know we're really getting a lot in that regard. Offshore wind, I mean, solar wind, you name it. What's, I'm just thinking there's got to be a big future that in North and South Carolina for the operating engineers. Can you speak to that? Yes, there is. There is. There is a plan to big offshore wind. We are right now, along with the Building Trades Council of North Carolina, we, you know, we are set on the board. We're we're really working towards when that comes that it, it is unionized, um, and that's the uh, way it's looking right now. That's mm-hmm. promising, and so we're really, you know, got our hands in that. Um, we also have a uh, Toyota's building a battery plant here in North Carolina. Right now, that's one of our biggest projects that we have. At our peak last year, we had 350 operators on that. Um, they've had slowed down a little bit just because of the weather and stuff, but they're starting to ramp right back up. And mm-hmm. you know that job will have will have operators on there for another five or six years. And uh, with that, and that's a real big project. You know, Toyota they're just going to build batteries there. So yeah, and batteries uh, for trucks and cars, huh? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, batteries and trucks and cars. It's over in uh, over a thousand acre site, so it's it's pretty big. And then we have Benfast, the car manufacturer. Uh, they're looking to build um, cars and battery EV cars here. So that's another into the uh, in that. So it's really growing down here in North Carolina. Renewable energy. Steve, I want to talk about your uh, the past here. And again, we're speaking with Steve Rumberg, business manager, president of Operating Engineers 465, chartered back in 1945. And uh, you send me some uh, interesting information about some of your past members and business managers. One of them is C.P. Ellis, who uh, retired, my gosh, 1990. And apparently he had an interesting story that... Uh, that turned into a movie. Maybe you can uh, talk about that. This is quite fascinating. Well, well, first of all, what made this guy so interesting? Let's start there. Uh, he was, uh, I didn't get to know CP so much as uh, just stories from my previous business managers. We actually have a couple of uh, 
guys who are fixing retired a couple of units that have actually worked with him and they said he was uh, a go-getter and that uh he spoke his mind pretty much <laughs> and, and his, I mean, he, he was going to speak it no matter who was around and uh-huh. you can kind of see that in the in the movie and how how hard he was um man but he was an uh, to when he came into the operating engineers he was a wonderful guy for us so i can relate on that i have watched the movie it's, it's a pretty interesting movie to watch um i think i streamed it on uh it was one of the streaming apps and you got to watch it but it, it really showed how compassionate of a person he was too and the movie is the best of enemies is that the name of the movie yes sir yes sir um all right I understand he was a a segregationist. Now, this is according to Wikipedia. He was a segregationist, but he turned civil rights activist and then trade union organizer. That's interesting in itself. I guess, does the movie follow that that storyline on how he changed? Yes, that is. That's exactly the storyline, how he changed, is how he he went from from one to, to actually standing up for the rights of African-American people. It was, it's very interesting. It's a very good storyline. And, and what made him go in that direction? Was there somebody integral in his life that, uh, that made him turn that way? Yes. Yes. I, I can't remember her name off the top of my head in the movie, but it was one lady that, that really fought with him and that really changed his mind. And, uh, it, it's a very good story. Okay. So if I go on Google or any, any, uh, search engine and just look for best of enemies, it should come right up and it, you'd be able to, yes. is it streaming then you could just get it? Yes, sir. Yes. It was streaming when I watched it. So okay. it is streaming now. All right. Okay. Well, you never know. Maybe they'll make a movie out of, out of you, Steve Rumberg. What do you think? <laughs> I doubt that, but I'm not that interesting. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, you got 18 years. How long do you think? Uh, how long do you think you'll be going there as a business manager and president of 465? Well, if uh, good Lord willing, we plan on being here another 15 years. Yeah. Or, yeah. It, you know, that's that's what I'd like to do before I get out. That would put me right at retirement age. So, and I really enjoy this work. It's uh, hard. It's a but you got to love the labor, and it's it's uh, I love seeing. You know, going out here and seeing people and talking with them and explaining what the union is, the way it was with me, and then when they see that and realize how great, you know, of a brotherhood and sisterhood this is and what we can mm-hmm. do for them. Right. It's certainly a very noble occupation and uh, a worthwhile one, operating engineers and all the trades, too, when you think of the uh, health and welfare, the pension and everything. Um, you can make a good buck and also... You can live a decent retirement when that day comes. Steve Rumberg, business manager, president of the Operating Engineers. You do check out their website, iuoe465.com is their website. You uh, stay safe and stay in touch, okay, brother? Yes, sir. You do the same. Thank you all. All right. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we'll check in with the heat and frost insulators and the electrical workers, Local 153 in the state of Indiana. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.